and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. I want to talk about how to confront uh, with honor. I think our society, our culture, (laughs) has a lot of opportunity for confrontation. There's a lot of, I, I, I won't say a lot. I won't speak that over our culture. Occasionally, there's some conflict that's, that, that hits our, our, our society. And, and I think it's important periodically to review how honor would handle conflict. So that's what we're going to do. Honor, honor is, listen, I, I know that, that when you confront somebody who doesn't have the same ideas as you, I don't, I don't doubt you know, people's heart. I really don't. When, when, the, when the conflict is, is happening, when, the, when they're attempting to have a conversation. Uh, but often, because of poor communication, they end up with a broken relationship, or at least one that's severely injured. And, and honor doesn't do that. If you have a conflict, and you approach that confrontation with honor, the relationship should be strengthened. So conflict, the conflict of ideas, concepts, all that kind of stuff, often will come from things like poor leadership, uh, expectations that aren't communicated well, poor communication. I put that down more along the lines of definitions. I just, you know, definitions are so important. uh, when, When my wife and I teach on communication, a lot of you have already heard that, but we often use the whole idea of, of the phrase like on time. Like the definition of what on time is can cause a lot of conflicts. If you don't understand what the other person is saying, you understand the words that are coming out of their mouth, but it doesn't mean the same thing to you as it does to them. My wife chuckles. It's true. It's just true. On time for some is 15 minutes early. Late is 14 minutes early. And for others, on time is five minutes after it starts because who's going to notice and then we got married. <laughs> and <laughs> it actually started on our first date because I showed up 20 minutes early because I was excited. She hadn't even thought about getting ready yet. And there I sat in the car outside of her dorm. And it was worth every second, trust me. All right. <laughs> so definitions or poor communication can often cause conflict. Pride. Jealousy. And, and tied into that, tied into pride, is often this whole idea of like self-protection. Like, I've presented something, and now I need to protect it because I don't want anybody to question me. And then, and then oftentimes, people who demand honor are really demanding blind obedience. And sometimes, some people have been taught, well, if I'm going to honor somebody, I just have to do what I'm told. I just have to obey. And that's not true. Honor is not blind obedience. But honor, uh, 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 fueled by love, can, can have a conversation in the middle of conflict and the relationship not be destroyed. The relationship will, will actually be stronger because of it. 
we had this, I, we, 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 mostly me, had a, we, we had a, a family conflict. I know it's tough to believe, but it's, it's true. Even my family has conflicts. And it had to do with that expectation. Literally, I had an expectation that I'd placed on my children when they were children that I just transferred their whole live long life. And now they're all married and with children and an opportunity came and I just moved ahead as though they would just fall in line because they always had. Because they never had the choice. (laughs) Because they... It wasn't an evil thing or you know, uh, uh, illegal thing or anything like that. It was just an expectation I had as, on them as, as children that they would follow my lead. And when they were married and with children of their own, and now dad just kind of drops something on them, and then they don't follow me, there was conflict. And it took weeks of multiple conversations. And honestly, everybody stayed in honor, and everybody held their ground. And eventually, we got to the... <laughs> this is funny to me because it's, it's so classic, right? The one guy in, the, in this conversation who didn't think it was him was the guy... It was him. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking, somebody out there has a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> I'm not pointing fingers. I'm like, okay... I've got to ask good questions. I've got to add the. All right, I've got to do this in love. I've got to work this out. Okay, what questions? What information do I need? What questions do I need to ask? How do I need to ask this question so that they, so that no one feels attacked or or, what, or whatever? But I need to know information. I need to understand what's going on. I need to understand what's going on. And finally, I asked the right kind of question, and somebody was like, "Well, when we were kids, you would do this to us all the time." I'm like, "Wait, wait, whoa, wait, who? How did I get in this? What do you mean you? What do you mean you, me?" Well, yeah, you would do this all the time. Wait, you didn't want to do this? No, you were dad. Dad said we were doing it. We did it. Wow, you kids are awesome. Holy cow, you're right. Oh, man, I'll tell you, it was, it was literally dumbfounding. Like I sat on the couch just shaking my head like, oh, my gosh, it's me. It's me. It's me. For the last two weeks, it's been me. This could have never happened if I had just realized what had happened, but I didn't for two weeks until now because, ta-da, it was me. So, apologies are made, forgiveness are granted, life went on, now I know better. But, it was, it was conflict, it was expectations, it was definition, it was poor leadership, it was pride. It was, it, was, it was interesting. I'm glad I stayed curious through the whole thing. Or it could have ended ugly. But love is always, our honor is always delivered by love. Because when you, when you deliver something with love, it brings life. When you deliver honor, in, when you deliver honor with love, it restores or it, or it introduces proper perspectives. Now, it's really important in order to confront well, you have to have a proper invitation or proper relationship, or you have to have an appointment or or a role in that person's life. You're not going to be able to deliver an honorable conflict conversation 
if you have no business being there. And a lot of people deliver things, they, they, they get all riled up inside and they just fly at people. And they have no role in that person's life. They have no invitation from that person for a conversation. They don't have a sozo appointment, which is in essence an invitation to the sozo team. Come get me. Let's figure this out, right? Sometimes as a pastor, I have a, I have a pastoral role, but, but I have to be careful. I can't just walk into someone's life and say, hey, by the way, I saw this on Facebook uh, last week and uh, I was kind of disturbed by that photo. So I thought maybe as a, your pastor, I would come and, confl- you know, come, <laughs> not conflict you. What did, what did I say? Confront you. <laughs> you. You can't. You can't. I mean, you can, but it's not, it's not going to go well. There's not honor in that. You have, to, you, have to, you have to have a role. You have to have a, ideally, you have a relationship where someone has given you an open invitation. Sometimes that's occurred. Sometimes you're married to them and they've given you an open invitation. But even in an open invitation, it has to be delivered with love. Honor when it's in confrontation. We'll listen and ask questions in order to gain understanding. This is, this is awesome. Because this takes work. You've got to practice this. Well, maybe you don't. I did. I had to practice how to, how to form a question in such a way that I can gain understanding without... And this, this is what's... This is what... A lot of people do, do, they've been trained, so they kind of do it naturally. They've, they've learned to listen for an opportunity to present their idea. They listen for an opportunity to interrupt and let the person know where they're wrong. They listen for an opportunity. They're not listening for understanding. And when you don't listen for understanding, you've, you've set up a roadblock to a deepening of relationship. Because even if you listen all the way to the end and then present how they're wrong, their spirit knows you did not really listen to them. You waited till they were done talking. There's a difference. There's a difference. You need to listen to understand. Because oftentimes, this is what I find, when I'm listening to understand, it changes everything in the way that I'm going to ask the next question. Because I've... I think, wow, that's how you got there. That's, that's usually what happens. Is I, I see something or I hear something, and I think, I would love to know. I would love to know how they got there. How, how do you get to that position? How do, you, how, do you, how, how do you make a decision like that? How do you choose a philosophy of, of life that includes that? I would love to know the journey to that point because I know, I know you don't end up there in one choice. You end up there through a thousand choices. So I'd like to know the journey. And if I'm not listening to present my idea, when they're all done, I'm not... I might not get a chance to say a word. That's crazy. Can't tell you the number of times I wanted them to give me an invitation to respond (laughs) and they didn't 
So I didn't. But you know what that did for me later? Man, it gave me a great opportunity to have conversation where we could actually talk about changing perspectives. And our relationship was deeper because of it. It does take more time. Honor takes time. And it's always worth it. Honor will ask without assigning labels. This is, uh, this is, this is, I'll, I'll flip this back. Oftentimes the conflict will start because people have assigned labels. Because in my mind, that's poor communication. So they'll say, if you've done this, then you are this, this, and this. And the reason why I'm going to explain to you why you're wrong is because these labels all fit you. If you are this, then you are this. If you haven't done this, then you are one of these. Whatever those labels are. Honor doesn't do that. Honor, honor doesn't do that because honor knows that that shuts off communication. Now, there's been times I've... <laughs> no, no. All right. There's been times I've been labeled and I just chuckle and I think, I know what they're... I, I know they don't... They don't mean to cut me off. See, I, I do. I've, I've learned... I just trust... I trust people's hearts that what they said, if it hurts me, it, it didn't mean to. And that goes back. I've, I've practiced that for years. Years. I've had people try to hurt me. And I just don't believe it. And then they tell me later, like, I really tried to make you upset. I wanted you to hate me. And I was, no, honey. my wife raises her hand. <laughs> I tried to hurt him. It, okay, that's true. You can ask her about it later. But... But I just, I just don't, I refuse to believe it. So even, you know, back to my little illustration, I know I didn't give you all the details, but like, even if my children during this time of, of understanding where I had this expectation that was unfair and, and all that stuff, there were times that they delivered information that probably could have been delivered with a little more grace and it wasn't, but I didn't receive it as hurtful because I refused to believe they were trying to. And that was true. They, they weren't trying to. But they were working through something that they had felt since childhood and had never, never had an opportunity, never took the opportunity to express it. So what I had done tapped all the way back. They were, they were raw. These emotions were deep. They were coming from some pretty way back places. It was pretty awesome. And that's the way I kept looking at it. This is awesome. I don't know where this is going to end, but I know we love each other. And I know we're not trying to hurt each other. And we will, get, we will get to the end. I just couldn't believe how long it was taking because I was the problem, but I didn't realize that. It would have taken a lot shorter had I, had I thought of an option where maybe I was the problem. So it also invites... <laughs> I purposely put this religious word in here. It invites repentance. <laughs> I love that word. Because it's so... Narrow in most people's definitions, but what is repentance? It's it's a changing of the mind. It's it's a it's a it's a repositioning to the penthouse. Repentance. It's it's a higher view. It's a it's a heavenly perspective. Honor in conflict will bring people's perspectives to a place where where it's new, and it's greater, and it's heavenly. It invites that, but it does not demand it. It doesn't demand it doesn't demand results. 
It doesn't say, hey, I've just presented something in love. Now change your mind. (laughs) Because that just knocks everything you just did out of the park. It does not demand results. It, It just invites new perspectives on your circumstances. On old lies that you've been believing. On the results that come from believing them. Honor in conflict is a life-giving opportunity filled with invitation and understanding. And all it takes is practice. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. And all of that, I thought, well, we probably need a biblical example, Bob, because you can't just make this stuff up or you'd just be like a teacher. So... There is something in the Bible. A really good illustration, actually. An amazing little story in the middle of of the whole epic of David in 1 Samuel 19. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute. This is the third time Bob's preached from 1 Samuel. And it's true, because I have been stuck in this book and 2 Samuel and the first couple of chapters of 1 Kings for a while. And I'll I'll let you guys know this, because you're family. But... (laughs) about the fourth week of the two-week quarantine under COVID to flatten the curve. Remember those days? Those were good days. Remember that? That was all so long ago. I remember that. About the fourth week in of the two-week quarantine, I, uh, I stepped into something that many people have been inviting me to do, and that was to, to tell biblical narratives with, with a good God. Which is hard, because most people tell the Old Testament biblical narratives with a God who's filled with wrath and hate and a little bit bipolar and occasionally schizophrenic and, and, and once in a while just loses his mind and starts killing everybody. And usually their argument is, well, that's what the Bible says. Read the words, Bob. So I'm working on it. So I'm working on it. So I was like, all right, let's, I got nothing else to do but sit here. So I've, that's, I, dove into, I dove into it, and I'm, I'm still there. I'm still there. But I started recording it. I started recording it. I really thought it would take me about 15 hours to tell the story of David. It, it looks close. It's going to be closer to 50, but <laughs> that's, no, no, honey, it's going to be 50. She says 100. We... We have a conflict. <laughs> All right. So I'm working on it. We're having fun. What's nice is I'm recording it, and there's no time limit. Like church is a time limit. Sunday school is a time limit. Like anywhere I've ever told a story, there's usually a time limit, which is great. I don't, I'm not opposed to them, but this is the first time I'm telling a story without one. And it turns out I talk a lot when I don't have a time limit, which is probably why people put a time limit on me. Occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, they don't, and then they think, oh, next time he comes? Yeah, we're going to put a time limit on him. All right. So, 1 Samuel 19. Jonathan is in conflict, and he needs to confront his father. First verse, Saul tells, tells his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. <laughs> this is a conflict for Jonathan, <laughs> because Jonathan really likes David. Jonathan and David are like brothers. They're like best friends. 
They're, they're like soulmates. They get along amazingly well. Saul goes public with his desire to kill David. Before, he had thrown a spear at David twice in one worship set, which probably means the music was too loud. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Nobody here would ever do that. But he throws a spear twice at David and misses both times. And, and Saul interprets that. I think Saul interprets that to mean God won't let him kill David. So it says, then he gives you know, David command of some troops and he sends David out to war in hopes that the Philistines will kill David. Because David, unlike most commanders, actually fought with his men. He's like William Wallace. He's out there. Mooning the enemy. He's, he's, <laughs> Bob, really? You had to bring that up in church? That is not a picture we need. Anyways, he's, he's fighting with the men, and the men rally to him all the time, and they keep winning. So Saul is getting frustrated. In, in the end of 18, chapter 18, it's, you know, it says something like, and every time David went out, he won. So Saul's thinking, this is not working. So Saul, as you know, struggles with identity. So he's not a great leader. So he expects absolute obedience. So he tells his attendants. Now his attendants would have been all, mostly all family members, all from the tribe of Benjamin. They're all, they're not that they're necessarily qualified for positions of leadership, but they qualify because they're loyal and they're family, including Jonathan. And he says, I want one of you to kill David. He goes public. Puts out a death warrant. And Jonathan's thinking, no, 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 no. Bad, bad idea, bad idea. This is bad, bad. Dad does not mean this. Now, if Jonathan wasn't coming from a position of honor to his father's role as his father, to his father's position as king, he would have just shouted, you're an idiot. How can you say such a stupid thing? David does not deserve to die. I want to take a vote. I bet you I get more people on my side than your side, Dad. Nope. What's he do? He runs over to David. I don't know where he knew David was, but because they're friends, he probably knew where David hung out. He goes to David. He's like, listen, Dad wants to kill you, but let me talk to him. Be on your guard till tomorrow morning. <laughs> Listen, Dave, I'm just letting you know, dad's out to kill you. You probably, probably need to you know, sleep in a cave or something. <laughs> you need to hang out somewhere till morning. I'll talk to dad. See, poor leadership is expecting blind obedience. Poor leadership expects blind obedience because anytime you question somebody who doesn't understand who they are, Think they think you're questioning their identity. But when somebody doesn't really know who they are, they can't handle questions because they think you're attacking them personally. You can ask them questions about their decisions, but if they don't know who they are, if they don't know where those decisions came from, they think you're attacking them. And there's all kinds of probably examples you can think of through your life, whether they're parents or teachers or coaches or business owners or Maybe you've spoken to kings. It doesn't matter. If you have an identity issue, you have an issue with being questioned. The other thing that can happen in poor leadership is if somebody questions you, you think they're not on board. <laughs> and you think, 
Why are you questioning me? You're not loyal to my vision. (laughs) I've had a few of those conversations too. Bob, where's your loyalty? I asked you to do something. Thinking, well, I'm not. I'm not going to use somebody like that. I I wasn't always articulate, but I knew internally how not to use people. And not not everybody who was over me as as leaders knew how to do that. They they would they would use people, and they would in essence tell me to go use my. I literally had a, a leader look at me once and say, "You need to leverage." your relationship with this woman to get her to do what I want. And I remember thinking, internally going, there's something terribly wrong with what he just said, and I'm not going to do that. I just, I just not, I'm not going to do it. I didn't really know why, I just, and I didn't do it. And then, you know, there were future conversations with that boss that didn't go well because I wasn't doing what I was told that, I didn't know why I wasn't doing what I was told. I just knew you shouldn't do what you just said to do. But anyways, poor leadership will do that. On to the story, Bob. Thank you. So John, Jonathan goes to Saul. He goes to Saul in a place where Saul is comfortable. He tells David, he goes, I want you to, I want you to hide out till morning. I'm going to go and stand with my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak to him about you, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what I find out. This field is used further on in the story as well. This field evidently was was outside the city walls, and it probably was was a field that was used for the royal livestock. You have to remember that Saul came from a, a, a family that bred mules, so he was used to being out in the fields. It was probably a place of comfort. It was probably Saul went there in the mornings, probably because it was quiet. And for the for somebody who struggles with their identity, you need that. You need to figure out, like, you just need that time. And Saul would do that. He'd go out to the field, and he would breathe. And he'd just kind of think, okay, how am I going to handle the day? And he'd look at the mules, and he'd look at the sheep, and he'd look at the goats. And, and I have a feeling there were probably guards, but they were, they were far around. Like, the field was protected, but Saul was alone. And Jonathan knew, this is where my father is, and as, as his firstborn son, I can walk with him in this time. And I'm going to pick the time and the place to confront my father so that he's in a comfortable place. And he's in a place where he can listen and, and I can listen. And we're not going to be interrupted. Because that's what honor will do. It's not going to just fly into this. It's going to take an opportunity to find the proper time and place, which may mean waiting weeks. Now, in this particular case, it didn't. But he had to wait a night, which means... You know, meant David spent the night outside hoping not to be killed. You got to trust a friend pretty, pretty much to, to take his word on that. Somebody gives you a call. Hey, hey, best buddy. Listen, somebody's out to kill you. You need to go camp out in the woods, but I'll talk to the guy in the morning. Everything should be fine. That's that's a crazy conversation. The level of trust that David and Jonathan had with each other is intense. So he continues. The, the, verse 4 it says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him. Now, if you read these two verses, verses 4 and 5, it looks like a monologue. It looks like Jonathan pulled his father aside and said, 
Don't do something wrong to your servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has only benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord has won great victories for all of Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you wrong this innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? That sounds like a pretty intense conflict, confrontation. But if you step back and you walk through the Hebrew on this, there's a, this is a long conversation that's filled with questions that allow Saul to interact with Jonathan. He interacts with his circumstances. Jonathan gives him honor and he says, Hey, Dad, help me understand about David. What's going on? Saul's like, well, answers this question. He goes, yeah, but what did he do? I mean, he's, he's a servant to you, right? Yes, he is. So has he served you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember him serving you too. I remember that. Yeah, he serves you really well. Like he actually puts his life on the line for the nation every time he goes out to battle. I mean... The implication is David's the only commander that puts his life on the line to go into battle. All the other commanders are at a safe distance from ever being killed while they're giving command to their thousands or hundreds. David's in the battle. So there's, a, there's an implication in the way that this is phrased that basically says David's a bigger servant here than anybody else. Right? Jonathan asked questions and he listened. He let the answers show Saul that his perceptions were off regarding David as a servant. That his charges were inaccurate. And then he caused Saul to remember the truth. And he caused Saul, he invited Saul to fall in love with David again. It's like the Lord won a great victory for all of Israel. And you saw it. And you were glad. Let's remember this moment. Remember that time? The first time we really met David? Do you remember that? Remember how happy we were when he came walking back after, after dropping the head off at the head of, at, at Jerusalem? He walked all the way back. He collected Goliath's swords and he brought it to his own tent. And then remember he walked into our tent? How happy were we? That was amazing. And then he invites his dad, to make it right. He's like, he's an innocent man, dad. Right? I mean, you haven't told me anything that he's done that's wrong. And he just let it hang there. And Saul's like, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. He's like, I'm going to make this right. Now, it says there that, that Saul listened to Jonathan. He listened to Jonathan's questions. There's a depth of understanding that occurred between this father and son. I'm guessing this conversation took probably several hours. And they probably walked around the field. There was not an intensity. There was just love and respect. Jonathan picked his moments well. He phrased his questions well. He exposed the truth and the higher perspective that was available for Saul if Saul wanted it. Saul chose to take it. We don't see any demand from Jonathan in this. 
Even in his questions, he wasn't demanding a result. He was asking questions. So Jonathan calls David, and he tells him the whole conversation, and he brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before, which means Saul Saul brought him back in. Before he had sent him out with his troops in order to try and help get the Philistines to kill him, he kept him out of the palace throne room. He kept him out of the council, uh, the military council. He kept him out of the advisorship. He kept him out of the worship room. He kept him out of the family table. And he brought him back into as he was before. He restored everything, which is what repentance will do. It restores truth and love and relationship. And that's exactly what happened. This is just a great little story in the middle of an epic. Where an honorable con, uh, con, uh, honor was brought into a conflict. It was brought into a, converse, a, a conversation that, that resulted in a beautiful result. Now, you know, Saul, Saul didn't stay there. I know. I know. I know, the rest, I know how the story rolls. <laughs> I do. And as often happens, if you... Resist repentance. If you resist the higher perspective, you'll, you'll get, it'll get harder and harder for you to get there because that's, uh, you reap what you sow. Now, I find it interesting the next time Saul puts out a death warrant on David, he doesn't tell Jonathan. <laughs> David comes to Jonathan and he's like, hey, your dad's out to kill me. What did I do? And Jonathan's like, no way. My dad would never kill you. There's no way. He doesn't do anything without telling me. David's like, whoa, no, no, John, I got some bad news for you, my friend. Your dad is out to kill me again. Jonathan's like, oh, like, like the lights come on. Like, that's why, that's why I don't know. Saul's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to change my mind again. <laughs> I'm not going to let you work your magic on me. <laughs> So even in honor, even in an opportunity to restore relationship, even if the person steps into it, they may choose to reject you in the future. That's, that's okay. Jonathan continued to honor his father all the way to the bitter end. He stayed with him all the way to his death. It's, it's a, Jonathan is a fascinating, amazing character in Scripture. And here's a beautiful picture of how Jonathan used honor, fueled by love, to resolve a conflict that could have ended really badly, and instead it restored everything. It's it's just a it's just awesome. I just want to encourage you in a in a environment that is ripe with opportunity for you to confront people. Work on the principles of honor. Listen to understand. Invite for a higher perspective. Don't demand results. Look for the proper time in the proper place. Wait for an invitation or step into a role that's already been given to you. Or you're just going to cause brokenness. You're just going to cause hurt. And that's not the way of the kingdom. We are here to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And we can do it with honor in conflict. You guys have a great day out there, everyone. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org.